0: You know, I've been praying for something, uh, some specific blessings from God um, all throughout 2017 and uh, for the first few days of 2018, I felt like God's answering those prayers. 2018 is going to be a new era where we're going to see these dreams come true. But on one day, in just the space of two hours, the things that I thought were going to happen, that I wanted to see happen, just kind of fizzled right before my eyes. And I looked to heaven and I said, Lord, I don't get it. A few days later, uh, my wife Mary Ann was in the basement uh, in our home office there. And, and I told her, I, we were talking about what happened. And I, I said, my hope's almost gone. I, I, I just don't know that I can keep on praying. About this stuff. I I don't know how to pray about it anymore. I've been praying for such a long time in a lot of different ways. Nothing is happening. God's not listening to me. I know better, and I don't think I should say this, but I'm done. I'm done praying. Now, I know some of you aren't used to pastors being this raw, okay? But I'm just trying to keep it real. And I do believe I'm not alone. I'm guessing there's some others of you in this room that have been there or are there or will be there. Because you're about to let go of hope. You're about to release your hold on prayer. Life has been hard. God's not come through for you when and how you wanted him to. And you're just not sure you could keep on hanging in there. Well, Jesus gives us a phrase in this next section of Scripture that we're going to be studying today. It's very simple. It's commended. It's commanded. And here it is. Hold fast. Hold fast. Now, he says this to a church that had gone through some hard times. He said this to a church that he says has little power. They're kind of weak, at least in the world's point of view. And he says this to a church that's getting ready to go through hard times again. I'm going, holy smoke, that's like me. I feel like I've gone through some hard times. I feel like I have little power, and I know I'm getting ready to go through hard times again. So whether or not anybody else needs to hear this message, I do, okay? I need to hear it. And I'm thinking maybe some of you in the room might need to hear this too. So open your Bibles to Revelation chapter. Three, we're going to start with verse 7 today. We're in our series, Recalibrate, and we're working our way through the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible. And uh, we've gone through chapter 2, now we're in chapter 3. And Jesus is speaking through one of his followers, John, and he is dictating letters to the leaders of these seven churches that are in the country we now know as Turkey. Now, this year, we are focused on prayer, big time. So each week, we have shared with you a prayer based on these letters to these churches. First week, Lord, show me what to do to restore my love for you. Second, help me be fearless and faithful in the face of persecution. Third, help me be fearless and faithful to have that conversation with, and you fill in the blank, you know somebody who's drifted away from Christ, Who's into some stuff they shouldn't be into. Uh, Next week, Lord, do not let me tolerate what you hate. And then show me my next step towards spiritual health. And today's prayer is, may my hope for tomorrow help me hold fast today. I just want to encourage you, use these short prayers as reminders and starting points to pray in your own words about these things. And you're going to watch your Heavenly Father recalibrate your faith. Sometimes it's good to have some prayers that are written down because if you're like me and you don't feel like praying and something's written there, all right, Lord, I don't feel like it, but I'm praying this. (laughs) And what's amazing is if you start doing it, your own stuff begins to flow, okay? Well, today I want those who have been tempted to let go or are now tempted to let go to find reasons why we ought to hold on. And I want those who may not be tempted to let go now, but will be tempted to let go in the future, I want you to be ready with reasons to hang on. I want you to understand how our hope for tomorrow helps us hold fast today. I was reading a book by Ligan Duncan, who's not related to me. He's the president of Reformed Theological Seminary. And he says this, The harder suffering gets and the longer it lasts, the more confused we can become. In those times, we especially need the clarity of God's word speaking into our hearts and lives. And that's why we're going to dig into this passage today. So this letter today is to the church in a city called Philadelphia. Here in America, Philadelphia is on top of the world. Fly eagles fly, right? Back in those days, Philadelphia was not on the top of the world fact, Jesus says in this letter, they have little power. They're not respected. They're not hashtag winning. Okay? That's not them. Look at verse 7. And to the angel or the lead pastor, the lead messenger of the church in Philadelphia, write. This is how Jesus introduces himself. The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. Now, what's that about? The key of David? Uh, you got to go back into the Old Testament, into a, a prophetic book, Isaiah, and look at chapter 22, verse 22. And there you learn about this key of David. David was the famous ancient king of Israel who had this palace, and he had a steward, uh, a guy who managed his household, who had the key of David, the key to the palace. And there was a bad guy who had the key. They took it away from him, and they gave it to a good guy, Eliakim. And Eliakim has this key, and when he opens it, nobody can shut it. When he closes it, nobody can open it. It's the key to the access to the palace, to the presence of the king. And Jesus here is saying, I have the greater key of David. I can open the door to the king of heaven's presence to you. If you will come through me, and that's the good news. But he also says, I can shut the door of heaven to those who don't come through me, to those who do not know me as Lord and Savior. And sadly, that's some of us in the room. You've been flirting with Christ, toying with Christ, but you don't have him. And he's not really opened the door of heaven to you. Don't deceive yourself to think that it's open when it's not A little later in the service, we're going to give you a chance to come through that open door. Has he used his key to open the door of heaven to you? Are you sure about that? Yes or no? Look at verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. That's that door to heaven, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews, but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I've loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast. There's our phrase. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has near, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. All right. There's only one command in this passage and it's in that little phrase, hold. Fast. And then there are four promises in the passage. Uh, maybe you missed them. Uh, one's in verse 9. It's a little tricky because there are two I will statements in verse 9, but it's really one promise. I will make them come and bow down before your feet. The next one is in verse 10. I will keep you from the hour of trial. The next, one's in, the next two are in verse 12. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and I will write on him the name of my God. And these other names. And I just want to take a time out here and say, when you're uh, reading scripture, I just want to advise you, encourage you uh, to look for the I shall statements of God and the I will statements of God. Because those are the promises of God. When you see them, highlight them, underline them, and put them in your heart. Because that will help you get through the challenges of this life. Now this church in Philadelphia, it gets... A resounding thumbs up from Christ with no thumbs down. That's unlike the other letters. There are two churches that only get the thumbs up and no thumbs down. Why do they get the thumbs up? They work. And even though they have little power, they are small in number, they are small in resources, they are small in influence. These are people that keep Christ's words. They are fearless and faithful in the face of persecution. They patiently endure. And so he says, I want you to hold fast, to keep holding fast to me. So how do they do it? Well, they live in light of the promises of the one who has the key of David, the one who can open the door to heaven so that they find his presence and his reward. No one's going to shut the door that he's open to them. So hold fast. Uh, the, the Greek word is krateo. okay? Okay. Um, it does not refer to the kind of grasp that I can do with my right hand. A light grasp. The noun form of this verb means might, power, and strength. It is holding on to him with both hands, and it is holding on to him with all you've got. So question, are you holding on to Christ? Holding fast, not with a, a light grasp, but with might, and power, and strength. Hold fast. Maybe you've been praying for a long time about something, and you've come to the conclusion God's not going to answer. Dream's not coming true. So why not just let go? Maybe you've been living for a long time faithfully in your marriage, and your spouse continues to belittle and undermine, oppose your faith, and you've had enough, and you've decided, I'm just going to go through the motions from now on. What's it going to take for you to hold fast with a mighty grasp, with a power grip, with a strong hand? What's it going to take? Have you ever seen those uh, hang-in there posters featuring featuring little kittens? Have you ever seen those? (laughs) I heard somebody go, "Oh." Seems like I've seen multiple versions of these posters for a long time. For some strange reason, I don't ever remember seeing a dog puppy hang in there poster. I don't know why. Um, We were talking about this at our creative team meeting and one of our staff members, I'm not going to tell you who, but he preached last weekend. um, said, I've never seen any posters like that before. I'm going, man, you got to get out and live a little bit. What's wrong with you? I'm a millennial. We don't look at stuff like that. Excuse me for being 64. Sorry about that. You know, as cute as these little posters might be, and as significant as the message is, hang in there. It's kind of like a hold fast message, right? Something's missing here. The sentiment is strong, but they don't ever tell you Why and how to hold fast? Jesus does in these verses. And he says it's our hope for tomorrow that helps us hold fast for today. But he gives us some specifics. Let me give you these four specifics. Hold fast because of the promises. Jesus will vindicate you. He will vindicate you. Now, if things aren't going all that well in your life, if you have little power... And if you think others who seem to have it made might look down on you, might think they're better, might think they are more beloved by God than you, then listen up. See, that's what's happening in Philadelphia. Look at verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Now, what's uh, what's up with this? Well, the respectable and wealthy Jewish people in the local synagogue, no doubt, would not allow these Christians, these followers of Christ, even if they had Jewish blood in their veins, to come into the synagogue. Because they were saying, We're the real Jews. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're not a real Jew anymore. That's us. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute. You guys who aren't following Jesus are not the real Jews. These guys are the real chosen people of God. See, these these followers of Jesus in Philadelphia had no place. They'd been excommunicated. And the leading citizens of the city who were Jewish were probably hindering their ability to buy and sell. So they were getting more poor because of the persecution from the Jews. And they were probably these Jewish leaders speaking badly about the Christians to the Roman officials. So that's where the source of persecution was from. But the Lord of the kingdom is going to turn the tables. And he's going to make these self-righteous Jewish leaders do what they expected the Christians would do to them. They are going to fall down before the Christians they despised and acknowledge that you guys are indeed the beloved children of God after all. And God loves to do this. Listen to this from Isaiah. It's an Old Testament passage. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, I will make you majestic forever. A joy from age to age. I love Jesus because he loves to turn the tables on people. Some here you might be dealing with some form of mental illness or some disability. Some people look down at you. They think they're better than you. Maybe you're suffering from panic attacks, or maybe it's depression that won't let up, or maybe it's bipolar disease. And you're thinking, I just don't know if I can keep hanging on anymore. Well, the first thing I want to say to you is, you are welcome here, very much. And you know, you're not alone. There are plenty of people right here at CBC fighting some of the same battles that you're fighting. In fact, I've had conversations with people in the foyer already today, battling with these things. Please be under a doctor's care. Please take your medicines that have been prescribed by psychiatrists. Please get to a psychologist or a counselor to get some more help. And while I would never say, you just need to believe better. You just need to obey more. And while I would never just slap a couple of Bible verses onto your life like a mental health band-aid, I do believe that there's some precious truths in this passage that might make a huge difference in your life. Jesus is here today and he is seeking to speak to you who are struggling with mental illness and you have experienced put downs and rejection from other people. He's here for you who have been tempted to let go. Jesus is saying, don't let go. Don't give in. Don't commit suicide. Don't give up on the faith because I will vindicate you someday those people who have been putting you down will watch me lift you up. So hold fast. See, it's your hope for tomorrow that helps you hold fast for today. Hold fast. Jesus will vindicate you. Second, Jesus will protect you. He'll protect you. Now this comes from verse 10. He says, Because you've kept my word about patient endurance... I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I don't think this passage teaches about the great tribulation and the rapture of the church. This verse refers to a great persecution that the entire church would go through because of the Roman Empire in that day. These followers would be protected so that they would be safe In their faith, as they went through the suffering. See, look at that phrase, keep you from. Put that verse back on the screen for a second. Keep you from. Uh, That's from two Greek words. The the word keep is the verb traeo. From is the preposition ek. So a literal translation is to guard you out of the midst of. Traeo ek occurs one other time in the Bible. And it's in John 17 where Jesus is praying to his father about his followers. I do not pray that you will take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. See, what God is all about is is keeping us safe in the midst of trouble. Some of you are going through almost unimaginable pain, hardship, suffering, and disappointment. Your singleness is just going on and on and on. There is no guy, there is no girl in sight. Unemployment or underemployment has been devastating. And you thought, when I sign up to follow Christ, I thought he's going to shield me from all that. I thought he's going to fix all that. And now you're wondering, where is God when the going gets tough? And because of that, you're about to give up, give in, let go of the faith. And Jesus is here today, and he is saying to you, I will be your Lord Through the valley of the shadow of death. In me, you have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. But take courage, I've overcome the world. I am your very present help in time of trouble. When you walk through the fire, I will be with you. So do not anxiously look about you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you in my righteous right hand. I will be with you in your fiery furnace. I will make sure that you are guarded, that you are protected by me until we go home. I will protect you. Hold fast. It's your hope for tomorrow that helps you hold fast today. Now, not only will he vindicate you and protect you, but he will, I love this, honor you. Honor you. Now, a little history. <laughs> Philadelphia, back in the day, in Turkey, experienced a lot of earthquakes. In fact, there was a big one in uh, 17 B.C. And then for decades, they had these tremors. One historian wrote this, the walls never cease being cracked and different parts of the city are constantly suffering damage. That is why the actual town has few inhabitants. The majority live as farmers in the countryside. Now keep that in mind as we read the next passage here. Verse 11, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. That must sound like great news to people that were on the move constantly, who had seen buildings fall down around them. He says, you're going to be pillars. These are not brittle, fragile pillars that can be shaken by an earthquake. These are pillars that are strong, steadfast, beautiful. See, believers that hold fast to the truth are going to be pillars in the household of God. I've heard people say about especially saintly people, godly people in the life of a church, she's a pillar of the church. And we're all going to be pillars someday. A pillar is a symbol of importance And prominence and permanence. They are very important. We have some pillars right now in this room. You know where they are? They're right over there holding up that balcony. See them? (laughs) (laughs) These guys up there, you feel like those pillars are important, right? Important. And we've got some over here too. They're a little bit more hidden, but they're there holding these guys up. They're important. Some of you in this room today, you feel weak. Earthquakes have shaken the foundations of your life. And you feel like there's little power in your life. There's not much strength. Maybe your finances have been tight for a long, long time, and it seems like you'll never get the health that you want. It continues to deteriorate. And you're tempted to throw in the towel because serving Jesus just doesn't seem worth it then you're not sure how much longer you can hold tight, how much longer you can hang on. Look at what happens here. He says, you are stronger than you think. You are more important than you can possibly imagine. In my eyes, you're not just a functional pillar. You're an ornate, beautiful, intricately carved pillar. In my eyes... You're beautiful. And one day, I will honor you. You're my pillar. Hold on. Hold fast. It's your hope for tomorrow that helps you hold fast today. Now, not only will he honor you, but the fourth promise here, he will treasure you. Treasure you. Now, when you want to make sure you don't lose something, when you want to make sure that somebody doesn't steal something from you, you write your name on it. And look what happens here. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. I mean, people that hold fast, they get like a triple name from God. They get the name of my God. Christ writes... God, the Father's name on us. And that identifies us as belonging to Him. He's our Father. We're His children forever. And then He writes on us the name of New Jerusalem. And what's that about? Well, New Jerusalem is a reference to the the city in heaven. We will enjoy forever and eternal citizenship. Our ID says, citizen of heaven. How long? Forever and ever and ever because we were made for glory. And then he writes on us this new name of Jesus. Now scholars are like going, we don't even know what that is. Uh, We don't know everything about Jesus yet, right? We know some things about him. We know some names of Jesus. Alpha and Omega, Emmanuel, the bright morning star. But all that we know about Jesus just scratches the surface of who Jesus really is. He's going to be revealing new things about himself to us. So whatever we called him in the past and whoever we understood stood him to be, all of that's going to pale in comparison to who we will understand him to be when we're in heaven someday. Remember this guy? Everybody knows who this is, right? Woody. And what's he got on the bottom of his boot, He's got Andy's name on the bottom of his boot. He's owned and treasured by Andy. And then he's got like a tag on him here under his vest. And it says, made in Taiwan, no, China, made in China. Yeah, not, not Cleveland somewhere. He um, doesn't have any other names on him here. See, this analogy kind of falls apart because it doesn't have three names written on him. But he's got one, and he owns me. We've got a tag that doesn't say made in heaven because your mommy and daddy made you, right, on earth. But you're made for heaven. you got a tag on that says made for heaven. And someday, maybe on this boot, (laughs) the new name of Jesus will appear. And like I said, the analogy breaks down because Andy actually gives Woody away in Toy Story 3. Now, it's a heart-tearing, heart-jerking scene, but he gives him away? Didn't treasure him as much as he thought, right? Jesus is never going to give you away. You will be treasured by Jesus forever and ever and ever, and that's good news for some of us that feel forgotten, that feel unimportant, or feel abused. He's going to treasure you like no one else ever has or ever could. Hold fast. It's our hope for tomorrow that helps us hold fast today. How how do you hold fast by looking through this open door to heaven? How do you do that? Uh, As Pastor Dale says, how do you sky your eyes? (laughs) Let me just give you five little things. Very simple. Memorize verses about heaven. Pray prayers about heaven. Read books about heaven. Talk about heaven to your friends. And sing songs about heaven. Now, some of you go, Oh, come on. He's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Here's the Greek word for that bull. Unless you're heavenly minded, you won't be earthly good. Over and over in the Bible, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For your life is hidden with Christ in God. African American slaves in the deep south had it unimaginably hard. But in spite of the hard work under the hot sun, in spite of the beatings from cruel taskmasters, in spite of the sexual abuse from wicked owners, in spite of the breakup of their families when a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter will be sold to another owner, many of these African-American slaves held fast to Jesus. They didn't let go. They hung on. Now, how did they do it? Well, I know it's a complex answer. I know God's grace was sufficient for them But have you ever taken a real hard look at African-American spirituals, the songs? See, these saints from long ago sang a lot about heaven. And sociologists have actually studied the phenomenon. I read a paper this week. uh, George Faithful of St. Louis University wrote a scholarly paper entitled Recovering the Theology of the Negro Spirituals. And he writes this, roughly 40% of the compiled spirituals dealt with heaven as a primary theme. 40%. Could it be these born-again African-American slaves were able to hold fast? Because they recognize Jesus has the keys and he has opened the door of heaven to us and one of these days I'm going through so I can do this here. Because I'm going there. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me. Coming for to carry me home. If you get there before I do. Coming for to carry me home, tell all my friends, I'm coming too. Coming for to carry me home, sing it with me. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home, swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. As as they kept looking through those open doors, Jesus has given them the strength to endure, to hold fast, even though they're treated so unjustly. Were their songs too uh, otherworldly? Another African-American scholar, Howard Thurman, once wrote this. The facts may clear that this faith that they sang about did serve to deepen the capacity of their endurance. It taught people how to ride high in life to look squarely in the face of those facts that argue most dramatically against all hope and use those facts as material out of which they fashioned a hope that the environment with all of its cruelty could not crush. So, Swing low, sweet chariot indeed. Come, take us home. Perhaps one of the problems for us is that unlike the church in Philadelphia, we don't see ourselves as having little power. See, he commends them, even though they had little power. I'm not talking about spiritual power. I'm just talking about people, resources, money, wealth, talent skill. We see ourselves as strong, right? We have to fight the curse of self-sufficiency and self-reliance. We're strong financially. We have enough money to have lots of stuff, lots of distractions, lots of toys. We got cool lights, nice building, big parking lot. We have bowed down to the idols of personal peace and comfort and affluence. And we try to make heaven on earth. So when a little trouble comes, we get disappointed. We get dismayed. We get thrown off balance. We are tempted to let go instead of hold fast. We ought to see ourselves as people with little power than people with many resources. Because when you compare what we have to what God has and who God is we are people with pitiful resources we got nothing he's got everything we need to be more like those African American believers who looked through the open door to their real home in heaven it is our hope for tomorrow that helps us hold fast today say it with me it's our hope for tomorrow that helps us hold fast today today I love being a granddad. When I cross a busy street with our grandsons or when we're in a parking lot, I put out my hand and I say, hold on tight. And Ethan, who's seven, and Caleb, who's three, grab my hand as tightly as they can, but I'm not really depending on their grasp. It's my grip on their hands that hold them and keep them safe. The Christian leader, Paul, wrote in Philippians chapter 3, Christ, Jesus, has laid hold of me. He's saying Christ has a grip on me. So it is not our grip on Jesus that keeps us safe. It's the power of His grip on us that keeps us safe. Nobody can take us out of His grasp. Not the devil, not even ourselves. Because once we're in His hands, He won't let go. He says, And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And my Father, who is greater than all, no one will snatch them out of His hand. Just like we love because He first loved us, we hold fast to Him because He first held fast to us. One thing greater in your life is His then your strife is His grasp. And some of us here, you've never experienced that. Because you've kind of been flirting with Christ. Keeping Him him at arm's length. You're not fully bought in. Your grasp is like feeble on Him. Because He's not really holding you. You've never allowed him to open that door so that you could have access to God. And he's here today and he's saying, I got the key. I want to open the door for you. Nobody will be able to shut it. And you will be in my grasp forever. And you will be able to hold fast to me. And I will vindicate you. And I will protect you. And I will honor you. And I will treasure you. Who wouldn't want to get in on that? And today is your day if you've never come to Christ, if you've never really believed. You know, we got a prayer on the screen. Lord Jesus, I believe you have the keys to open heaven for me. Because of all my sin, I don't deserve that. But you died on the cross to pay for my sins in my place. You rose from the grave. Please, forgive me. And open the door of heaven to me. I want to be in your grasp totally. You vindicate, protect, honor, and treasure all who come to you. So today, I come. Today, I come. Help me hold fast to you always and forever. For some of you, your heart's beating a little faster right now and you know the Holy Spirit is here. God himself is here. Christ is walking around in this place and he's saying, this is your prayer. This is your time. Today's the day. And so I just want to say, maybe all you have to say is, today I come. And if that's you today, let us know on this care card that we have where you register your attendance. You could check a box, say, I prayed the prayer today to come to Christ because we want to help you hold fast to Jesus the rest of your life. Put it in the offering basket when it comes by. Now let's all stand and let's all sing the last part of this song together like we mean it.